Welcome to Season 2, Episode 1 of Paranormal Noise, where the paranormal is discussed by the abnormal. I'm LC. And I'm Kenzie. Welcome everyone to Season 2 of our podcast, Paranormal Noise. What are we talking about today? Today we're going to discuss Season 1, Episode 2 of Hellier, titled Ink and Black. Now through watching it and paying close attention, trying to remember everybody's names, uh, Carl Pfeiffer was the one who directed the docuseries and he's also executive producer on the show. And then there was Connor James Randall. He's also a paranormal researcher. Um, he, he's been a cameraman for Pfeiffer in the past while they're filming at the Stanley Hotel. And he's also a co-producer. Uh, Carl had met Greg and Dana back in 2015 while he was filming Spirits of the Stanley at the Stanley Hotel. The episode starts with them introducing Carl because he wasn't in episode one. Okay, well, I wanted to give credit to Greg and Dana for being executive producers. And I believe it was Planet Weird that um, produced the whole docuseries, like put on the production for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. As I said, the episode starts off with introducing Carl, um, talking about how their relationship is, how they know everybody. Um, also, they mention their cameraman, Rashid. I can't remember his last name, but he's the one that, you know, does all the filming. And so it's, it's filmed very beautifully, this documentary series. Um, the cinematography is really good. What's interesting about this episode is that there is a lot of information to digest within the first, like, 18 to 20 minutes of this episode. Um, it actually took me probably watching it through a couple times to really digest everything that they were saying. Yeah, I, I agree. There's definitely a lot mentioned in the first chunk of the episode, and I know I've read that a lot of people actually re-watch re the show because there's things that they have missed. I'm glad that I've went back multiple times to rewatch the episode because there's so much that I missed the first time watching it through. Um, so it just makes this story even more interesting. So after they do their introductions of the new um, people that are going to help them with this with the search, um, they are actually planning a trip to go back to Hellier, Kentucky. So we have Carl and Connor are driving together down in Kentucky. I think Dana and Greg are in their own separate car. And they also have their cameraman, Rashid, with Carl and Connor. Um, and I guess Carl um, was listening to an audio book. It was Secret Ciphers of the Euphonauts, written by Alan Greenfield. What was really interesting in this book is that there was an interview that Alan Greenfield did with Terry Rist. Now, refresh on who Terry Rist is. Terry Rist was um, a guy that had emailed Greg in the first episode, giving these really odd emails about ink and black and just weird numbers and coordinates and stuff like that. I can't remember specifically what all was in those emails, but that's the, the correlation between um, Greg and Dana, Terry Rist, and Alan Greenfield. In the interview, Terry talks about the cipher. Now, the cipher is some kind of code um, by Alistair Crowley that apparently this code was channeled through him, through through Aleister Crowley, by an alien. Mm -hmm. 
In the interview, Alan in the interview, Alan says one twelve equals ink and black. Now, what's interesting is that ink and black was mentioned in the email that Terrius sent to Greg. Yes, and also down the line, we learn that one twelve also equals injured cold. Well, it's when they um, when they apply the cipher to ink and black, it actually ends up giving the coordinates of where injured coal is. Right. Yes. And that's how Terry ends up finding injured coal and talking to him. Mm-hmm. Now, what's interesting about injured coal is I know it's like we're going. We're ju- it seems like we're like jumping all over the place because first you're talking about Alan Greenfield, then you're going Alistair Crowley, and then Terry Terry Wrist. And then now you're bringing this injured cold guy. So I can see how this would be a little confusing and why I would suggest, you know, rewatching the ep- the episode a couple times to kind of grasp everything. Did you find it kind of confusing at first? Yeah, because there's so much information spit at you. And it was hard to keep up with what exactly was going on and what came from where. Mm-hmm. So... When I started looking into who injured Cole was, it actually corresponds with the Mothman prophecies. So, like, I guess, again, it throws you another curveball. Like, okay, first you're talking about Kentucky Goblins, and now you're bringing in the Mothman prophecies. Now, what I thought was really cool is how the guys actually figured out how the Kentucky Goblins, Alan Greenfield, Terry Wrist, Injured Cole and the Mothman prophecies, how they make it all relate. Um, what do you know about Injured Cole? Um, just that he was supposedly an alien that had come to Earth or wherever he was from, I'm not sure. Um, I think the first interaction he had with a human being was back in, I think it was 1966. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the fellow's name. Um, his aircraft had landed in the highway and he approached this guy in his truck. Um, he was, injured cold was described as having this big, um, smile on his face. But I remember the guy's daughter saying, I don't know why people are saying that because it wasn't like that. I I don't know if people were exaggerating to make it sound creepy. And supposedly this man had stayed in contact with injured cold throughout the years and that he was possibly abducted by him um there was this other um the guy's planet or however you want to call it um injured took this man there to see it and whatnot um terry wrist in his email had said that injured cold is still isolated and hadn't yet been saved by the third order there's not a lot of talk about what the third order is. From what I gathered, it was like um, a group of like higher beings that would come together and end up going off to another planet or something. Yeah, it's pretty much what I. I think that's that's they, what I gathered. They mention it briefly. In this episode, when Carl and Connor are talking in the car, uh, briefly about what the Third World Order is. Third Order. Third World, wow. Third Order. Third World Order. Wow. 
third order and i couldn't find anything on the internet about it um yeah every the time... only thing that popped up was re- religious something yeah every time i was uh researching it i don't think i could bring up was, was things on on uh catholicism which i don't know what the third order and that has in common um i'm not sure i can't remember um but what, what was interesting i thought about injured cole i keep saying cole and his name last name is cold um is that when, uh, I did a lot of research on this, but now I'm drawing a complete blank on what the guy's name is that Indrid ended up encountering back in 1966. But it happened in Point Pleasant, mm-hmm. um, where the Mothman prof- prophecies happened. Which is where, in, in West Virginia. Mm-hmm. We'll have to do an episode cover, mo- cover, I do a brief covering of the Mothman prophecies. I, mm-hmm. um, I have a huge fear of moths, so I, <laughs> gives me a little shivers thinking about it. Um. But anyway, um, obviously when he encountered Indrid, he came out of his spacecraft and he was grinning and he had like this metallic type suit on and I forget what he said to him when he got out of the spaceship. Yeah, he, d- he just didn't want this guy to be scared, oh, scared of him. Oh, scared, yeah, scared. And he, he, he wanted the guy to look him in the eye even though the guy was uncomfortable about it. Mm-hmm. And then after the guy went home and told his wife they contacted the authorities and they interviewed him and what was what i found was pretty intriguing is that no one really called him a liar because he wasn't known really for lying that they thought this story was legit they believed it and there was never really any criticism towards this guy but then um as the years went on this man's wife this man's wife would say that he would disappear for weeks at a time, not knowing where he was at, that Indrid Cole was talking to him telepathically, mm-hmm. channeling through him. Oh, yeah, that's important to note, too, because when he first approached him in the vehicle, he spoke to him telepathically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I forgot about that part. Yeah. Um, there, there, there was some skepticism down the line. Uh, the people that that didn't believe the story and all the ongoing events this human being had uh, with his contact with injured cold. Uh, Some of which was the guy was making up this elaborate story because he was having an affair and maybe he was making up this story because he was having an affair with another man, which was incredibly frowned upon during that time period. Um, so that's just part of the skepticism that went on with it. We should also make note that there are stories of other people who encountered Indrid Cole. I believe one of them was in New Jersey and two boys, two young boys had ended up, uh, encountering him. So it's not just this, I don't know how fast stories like that traveled back in the 60s the late 60s um i know it's not like today right. where it's like milliseconds <laughs> and you know everybody's business right so yeah it would be interesting to get a timeline of all the events that people have encountered this that this uh individual injured cold that they know it's him for sure um i remember reading a story on a subreddit uh, it, was, it was quite interesting, and he believes that the, he had contact with injured cold, even though the guy never did tell him his name. We should read that story one day on on here. Um, but that was that happened in California. I don't remember what year it was. Though. I think it was back in the eighties or the early nineties. Yeah. They had said that was a really freaky. It was freaky story. <laughs> yeah, we should do that. We should like 
put that into an episode. Put that. We'll put that into the episode next next time in episode three. Right. The, the only problem is we can't find who originally wrote it to ask their permission because it was shared by somebody else that found it. it I think it was um, screenshot of it maybe because the original got deleted. Well, maybe we can leave a link and say, hey, read the story. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Um, so about the Mothman events, uh, those were written by John Keel. We should read these. We should get these books. Yeah. Be interesting reads, especially the, the secret cipher of the Ufonauts. <laughs> Watching it on like Amazon, it's like eighty, ninety dollars to buy this like little fifty-page paperback. Oh no, that one. That one's I think running around fifteen. Oh, that's not bad. No, and and uh, Alan Greenfield is actually still alive. Um, in episode two, they do a uh, interview with him. Yeah, that was back in two thousand seven. Dean, I think he, I think Greg said it was recorded. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that's a, we're not going to get that, we're not going to get that far for quite a while. Okay, so, back to the episode. I mean, we kind of got sidetracked there, but I think we uh, needed it for context of the whole episode. So, after they get past this revelation and this new theories and findings and whatnot, um, they all, they all arrive at Hellier. And mind you, they go to the gas station that's also a grocery store that's also a pizza place. <laughs> that's that's typical, like, <laughs> little, you know, one-stop-for-all place down there because, like, the terrain down there is so, like, so hilly. There's really no flat spaces, like, big flat, like, think about, like, the plains of the Midwest and stuff where it's just nothing but miles of flatness, like, there to even get, like, enough flatness for a football field is pretty rare. So, you're not going to have, like, these big, huge chain um, grocery stores or Walmarts in that area. Mm-hmm. So, little gas stations like that become very pivotal and they become very profitable because there's nowhere else to go. Right. So they all meet up there again. Um, it's kind of like their central hub for Hellier. And they all get out and they start talking to locals again about, hey, have you heard of anything weird going on? They're showing pictures of the footprints. Um, of course, everybody has their own like little stories of things that they saw up in the mountains and the and the haulers and stuff like that. Um, there's a lot of interest, you know, people... Like, you know, what are you doing here? Like, we can mm-hmm. tell, like, you're not from here. They're getting a lot of stares and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And and what was funny is that everybody that they talked to, they also asked them if they knew of a David Christie. Now, David Christie, for those who don't remember, was the man that originally contacted Greg via email, telling him about these goblins, about how they're harassing him. You know, they killed his dog they he just these little goblins destroyed his property and then they had to flee hellier because of these goblins so when they asked people about david christie nobody knew who this guy was never heard of him never even heard of a doctor in the area it was like this man never existed there mm-hmm. and i i did want to mention how dana described feeling a weird vibe when she got there uh, she felt the same way the first time her and Greg visited. Uh, she said that she was uh, hyper aware of her surroundings and a bit apprehensive about being there. Well, I think it, like, you would feel that anywhere 
like especially down there I think because it's such a close-knit everybody knows everybody type community so when a stranger comes around you're like oh who it's like that it's like the new person that starts starts at work you're like oh my god that's a new person we don't know that person yet but we're gonna stare and we're gonna talk and we're gonna whisper and it's gonna make you know it's gonna make that person feel <laughs> you know hyper aware you know right. what I mean oh yeah so it's kind of the same philosophy and I remember there was part of it where one of the locals after he was done talking with Greg he decided to stop on his way out and let them know Hey, if anybody tries to lead you off anywhere, don't go with them. Yeah, that's very accurate. You do if you don't know somebody or know somebody that knows somebody type deal, especially down there, you do not go off with them because they could lead you up into a holler up into the hills and guess what? You're not walking back and they're not going to find you. Yeah. Because the down there like kind of what happens down there stays down there. Um, obviously, you know, law enforcement would get involved and stuff, but it's kind of like where they just want to keep it under their jurisdiction, under their wraps. But yeah, definitely like anywhere I would suggest don't follow somebody that you don't know. <laughs> yeah. Right. Seriously. Especially up into like mile, like hundreds of miles of nothing but desolate mountains and thick for thick forests. Very true. Uh, so while they were still outside, of the gas station and Greg had called Tammy who was the woman uh, he'd spoke to before when he had went down there with just Dana uh, and this woman said that her grandson had taken some pictures of footprints that he saw on the hills and he had it on his cell phone that was basically the only like solid lead that they got while still at the gas station the next time we see them they're in Pikeville, Kentucky. Uh, they stayed at a hotel. Uh, Greg and Dana were using tarot cards in order to get a read on the situation um, and anything that might come up while they were investigating. So Greg has uh, shuffled, the, shuffled and spread the cards out on the bed. And as he was moving the cards around, uh, one of them had flipped over. I'm not sure if I'm going to pronounce this right. The, the Hierophant. Mm -hmm. And one of them had fallen to the floor. That was the five of cops. And the final card that was that was uh, chosen was the devil. So I guess Dana is the one who was fluent in tarot. So she did a reading on it. Uh, the hierophant means establishment and the way things are supposed to be. There are the five of cups, uh, the imagery on it. The man in the card he's focused on. Uh, the three cups that are empty instead of the two full cups that he has in front of him. And the devil means manipulation, uh, misuse of power, ego. Dana pretty much said that they were looking in the wrong direction if the devil is Terry Wrist, as Greg stated. And she was using a deck called, I think it was Hoi Polo. I don't know if I pronounced that right at all. I've, I've never used it myself. So uh, Connor had piped up and mentioned how it was a very uncomfortable reading for an uncomfortable place. Mm -hmm. So that was a little, a nice little addition that they put in there. Like, you know, seeking out um, a more spiritual interpretation of the of the whole situation. So mm -hmm. I'm glad that, that she suggested to do that. And I like that Dana brings in the more spiritual side of yeah. things. Um, I'm not saying that the other guys don't, but I think, I think she is a... I 
think she mentions in the first episode where she's a practicing Wiccan. So mm-hmm. she's going to be able to feel a lot more of those, like, those entities, those those powers, you know, and bring in that that spiritual side right. to things. Yeah. And that's what she's used to that's what she's used to doing as far as investigating goes. This is kind of, like I said, this is more of an information episode than it is more of an action episode. So there's a lot to just sit back and listen careful to listen carefully to. So the next morning they get up and they're like, okay, let's start calling local radio stations, the police stations, what have you to see if anybody has heard anything about this. Now, what's interesting to point out that the first time they went to Hellier was about two years before this most recent visit, the one we're talking about right now. So there's two, let's say there's a two year gap between the first visit and the second visit. The first time they were there, um, I guess they like everybody was eager to help. Everybody was eager to just to talk about, you know, any kind of story that they had or wanting to know why they were there, you know, very welcoming, very open. The second time, it's like everything just flipped, went black yeah. and white, especially what was funny or odd, I should say, is that when they called the police station, no one would pick up. <laughs> now, I don't know if this is like, I don't know if this is like, you know, the Andy Griffin show or something where they just like, <laughs> no, one sheriff for the whole town. Yeah, type deal. I'm not sure. But like, yeah. I find it very odd that Right, it's kind of unsettling. You call the cops, nobody answers. I know, right? It was something like like really bad happened. You leave a message, like no one's there. You leave a message, nobody calls you back. Like this guy has a has a gun to my head, and he'll give me a call back. Right? Jeez. So yeah, they called them, um, left multiple messages for the local police station, sheriff, what have you, and not a single soul got back to them. Um, They called the. TV station. Yeah, the local news wasn't interested. Yeah, local news wasn't interested at all. They referred them to the radio station. The radio station even had less interest yeah. in them. So it was, it was, I would be completely like, I wouldn't would say completely, but I'd be pretty defeated at that yeah. point and extremely frustrated. Right. That, you know, hey, two years ago when I was here, everybody was like, you know, yeah, let's do this. Let's talk about this. But now you're coming back and it's like, there's this dark cloud or the whole situation Mm -hmm. after getting frustrated with so after getting frustrated with calling all these people and contacting them getting absolutely nowhere they just said hey you know what fuck it let's just drive around hell (laughs) year yeah what else you gonna do that's what they do they just they drive around to see if they can kind of get an idea of where this david christie guy lived because he left enough information in his emails mm-hmm. that they could kind of guess right. what his house would have looked like. You know, mm-hmm. it was a mobile home, there was a shed in the backyard, and there was a cave entrance. However, to their surprise, and I know this too personally, pretty much everything in southeastern Kentucky, everything's a mobile home or a trailer. <laughs> there are caves everywhere. My like, because they're all they're all coal mining caves, so there's going to be entrances entrances everywhere. Right. And pretty much everybody obviously has a shed in their backyard. Yeah. That became quite daunting as, you know, every location or every house that fit that description, you know, it was like every other house fit that description. But they did mention in the first episode that they did come across a house that they thought could have been. Right. And strangely enough, they couldn't find the same house that they saw, you know, a couple years ago. And they decided to ask around. And guess what? Still nobody had heard of David Christie. Yeah, they were stopping and talking to locals, you know, on the road. I shouldn't say street because it's just a cluster of houses. 
And again, no one even heard of a doctor or a David Christie yeah. or nothing. And nobody heard of anybody that only lived there for seven months and then just up and left. That definitely is something that would have been talked about in a small area. Right? Yeah. So like, let's just say this guy was like from Ohio. Why Hellier? Why out of all places? Since obviously this David Christie guy didn't live in Hellier. Mm-hmm. Why whoever sent these emails to Greg? decided to say hey this is happening in hellier kentucky you know what i mean well he obviously knew that something was happening there mm. he knew something why be so like cryptic about it why can't you be like hey <laughs> <laughs> why beat around a giant bush and just get right to the point well from personal experience as we both know and obviously the docuseries hasn't reached this point yet any kind of spiritual communication is very vague but he wasn't vague like he was so descriptive in his emails about this whole fake scenario life that he made yes but at the same time he he was being you know mysterious about it i guess like, you know it's like backhanded he, cause he mysterious because <laughs> he didn't come out and say yeah i live at one two three robin street in hellier whatever i mean it would have been helpful if he did right so are you saying that you think uh what was i even saying I'm not sure what you were going to say. You paused for like 10 seconds and I lose my mind. Yes. I was saying that this supposed David Christie was mysterious in his communications. Instead of saying, this is my house, this is where I live, and here's all the evidence. And then he used the excuse of being a doctor and that people are going to think he's crazy. And maybe, yeah, he did use a fake name, but nobody had ever even heard of a doctor living in Hellier. You think... Do you think David Christie could have been a extraterrestrial? It's possible. You think he could have been a spirit? That's also possible. That's a high tech spirit right there. Know how to use knows how to use email. Well, I've definitely heard of stories people receiving text messages and such from people that have passed on. Yeah, there was a whole like uh, yeah. that Indonesian flight thing where. Oh yeah, that too, where they were getting phone calls and yeah. Uh huh. That was pretty wild. So anyway. The episode ends with them being in Jenkins, Kentucky. It's fairly close to Hellier, maybe a 20-30 minute drive. Um, They stayed in this cabin. It was kind of cool compared to the hotel room they were in. Yeah, that hotel room was pretty (laughs) janky. But at the same time, it was a cabin. So there was very little cell service and no internet there. And the episode ends with them going out at night to investigate to see if they can get anything that might be outside and willing to communicate with them. Yeah, so what appears as a, you know, kind of a boring episode actually is packed full of a bunch of information that is very relevant to the story, to understanding a lot of who all these characters are, what role they play, and how they all um, intertwine with each other. Absolutely. Uh, I think anybody that starts to watch this, uh, especially those that are interested in paranormal side of life, um, they get pulled in and they just, they want more, more, more. It's very addicting. It is. Well, that's all I got. So tune in next time where we discuss episode three of Hellier. And as always, keep it spooky. For more of our content, you can visit us online at Paranormal Noise on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, and at Paranormal Noise Podcast on Instagram and TikTok. All topics discussed in our Paranormal Noise podcast are for entertainment purposes only. All views and opinions expressed in this podcast are ours and do not represent the opinions of any entity whatsoever with which we have been, are now, or will be affiliated. 
Any content provided by our guests is of their opinion and is not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything. <laughs>